Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello and welcome to another edition of Reach for Hope. I'm Melissa Anderson. You know, they're the first ones on the scene of any accident or crime, yet they're typically the last to reach out when it comes to dealing with what they've seen or had to deal with. And I'm talking about first responders. With me today is a first responder who knows this all too well, but is vowing to help others. Uh, welcome to Laverkin Police Chief Nick Nuccitelli. Thanks for joining me today. And you've been on the show before. And I just say thanks and congratulations to your new position. Thank you, Melissa. I appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Yeah. Uh, now, tell us how long you've been in law enforcement and why you cho- chose this field of work. Um, so I started in law enforcement in 2006, going through the academy um, up in the Salt Lake area. And I was just kind of introduced to law enforcement by a neighbor of mine, actually. Um, I was always kind of working on cars and doing things like that and always in a team environment. And um, when I kind of learned a little bit more about policing, I thought it'd be a really good uh, avenue to go down and always work with a team. Yeah. So explain uh, what constitutes a first responder. So first responders are anybody that's um, that arrives first on scene. So in law enforcement, obviously you have law enforcement that that are anybody that that goes has a badge right and then from there you have firefighters and from there you have your next group first responders that are in the medical field such as nurses and doctors and emts that are that are there on call when you give 911 a call to generate an emergency yeah and so that's a lot of people that show up all at once and um and and most first responders in law enforcement choose to be that be choose to be on the first on that scene there must be some adrenaline rush or something that you go through wanting to help people is that right yeah i mean i i think one of the the coolest things about you know being a police officer for me i I can't speak for the other i don't know what it's like to be a firefighter um i was trained at one time in public safety to be a firefighter and then i was also trained to be an emt and it was a lot of fun but um when you're when you're a police officer usually they're the ones to kind of control the scene and make sure the scene is safe um, before some of those others even arrive. Right. And so, uh, yeah, it's 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 an amazing feeling that you get, and I think it's one of those things that you have to always kind of put on check. And that's hopefully one of the things that you know we'll discuss. Now, when you see something or something happens that's um, you know a tragedy, uh, something that other people probably wouldn't want to see or. Uh, would really upset them. How do you, how does that make you feel? Or how do you, when you first experienced something like that, how did you respond to that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of, as far as life experiences go, I got into this when I was in my late twenties. And um, I remember, you know, certain things about the academy and certain things about being taught and, and, and they really focus a lot on the actual verbiage of the law and how to tactically prepare to keep you safe, right? But today we're going to be even talking more about how to keep our our mental health um, safe and how to make sure that we were able to maintain those things because of all the cumulative things that we've seen. And 
I can go back into my career and I, I remember um, you go through as a police officer a field training process, right? And during that field training, they're trying to expose you to as many things as possible so that when you're by yourself in a police car, you could then, you know, navigate what you're supposed to do out there by yourself and make the correct decisions while you're out there by yourself. And um, during my field training, I never went to anything where there was like a, a dead body or, or a welfare check that then ended up being that. But uh, a couple months after um, I was out by myself, I remember my very first time that I went to, they, they post it as a welfare check where somebody calls in to make sure, you know, a loved one is okay. And they notice that either, you know, they haven't been able to get in contact with them on the phone, but they heard from them a day or two before. And um, I remember going to this home and uh, the home, the environment of the home was kind of surrounded by rocks. It was, it was a really cool home, um, but the person lived there by themselves. And I remember navigating over the rocks, looking through a window. And as a police officer, you know, you're like, hello, you know, always announcing, always giving that, that reassurance. And, and I, I noticed some, uh, like a cereal bowl on the, on the kitchen table mm -hmm. and nothing else around. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of weird. They left their cereal bowl. And then as you kind of check out other windows and things like that, then you notice that there's a person inside the home and they're not responsive. So then, you know, you get, you get the right, um, approvals to then, you know, make entry into the home, check on the person. And I remember at that point, brand new officer, you know, first going and, and with the, with the limited training that I had for emergency response, I remember, automatically checking for a pulse and checking for, you know, heat and things like that. And I remember thinking that the person had a pulse, but it was just my pulse because I was so kind of amped up, mm -hmm. not knowing that, that that's what was happening. So until. does it take a while then to jack down from something like that? I mean, get yourself to come down and go, oh yeah, I just experienced the death of, you know, someone's dead body. Yeah. I think it takes a while to just kind of, um, process those things and then, and then understand what your role is right then and there. And then have an avenue to, if you've never experienced it, maybe to talk about it and then, and then go, go on with that. But you're, as a police officer, you're going to go to multiple, multiple ones of those. I right. mean, and that's just, that's just a very, I don't want to say simplistic, but then, yeah. but then from there, right. Then you get in touch with the loved ones and then you get in touch with the people that called. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what kind of builds that, um, normalcy for, for those kind of calls is, yeah. You have it, and you after have it a while, it. you get kind of numb to it or used to it. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand there's a National uh, Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention for law enforcement, and and do so. Then, do fire departments or even hospitals or paramedics have immediate access to mental health care here in Utah or Southern Utah if they've experienced something that's even more traumatic than that, such as a house fire where they might have found someone who was deceased due to a fire? Yeah, there's there's multiple outlets for um, I think all first response. I, like I said, I can't really speak for the emergency medical technicians that that work for you know specific. But but I think the majority of our groups are kind of like where I'm at. We have Hurricane Valley Fire District, and St. George has their own fire department. Washington City has their own fire department and EMTs, and I think all of those will, based under their insurance policy and stuff, have the care or have the access to it. It's just a matter of whether they go, whether they go or whether they understand that those things are very valuable to them throughout the course of a career. Right. Because we want to think that, that every day is, is going to go by. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
but we're literally there to provide those emergency services. And, and we get very used to them. We, I mean, anybody that goes to that 911 call, even dispatchers who are sometimes forgotten about, right? Because they're the ones taking the call, not visually seeing what's happening. They're waiting to hear back from that kind of, um, trauma that's going on at, at that place. But so. that trauma could be triggered. How many then first responders do we hear that have like what we call PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder from tragic events they've experienced and, and, and they may need to go to some kind of screening or assistance for mental health. There's something called ISP. I think that's out there for that. Yeah. Yeah. They're, and they're, they're available out there and, and our, our latest group of insurers are really putting an emphasis on making sure that those resources are available to them. Um, so I, I, I appreciate the fact that now we're kind of getting it out there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and letting people understand that there are those resources and it's a matter of us taking, um, you know, the reins and guiding some of these folks that don't specifically know what they're going to get into right. and giving them the opportunity to get some help. And, and it's really just almost like a maintenance, just like everything else. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's kind of what I'd like to do um, in my role as a police chief is hopefully see some things, recognize some of these um, issues that come up and then funnel them in the right direction without, without, you know, um, putting any type of, um, you know, dark shadow over, over that help. Right. And I understand there's an employee assistance program as well that is confidential. Uh, yes. You can tell me a little bit about that. So anytime there's a, there's a number that they could um, contact and that stays within that confidentiality. There's, there's laws that protect people from that and they have anybody um, can, can reach out to them. Any yeah. first responder. And that's 24 yep. seven. And there's a 1-800 number that goes along with that. Now, is there suicide prevention training then for law enforcement? If you come upon something that's, you know, the death of a person who took their own life. Um, I don't know if there's any specifics, but we do talk about it and we do investigate any type of suicide as if it's a, a criminal scene, unless proven otherwise. Um, so, so they, they become, a scene, uh, an investigation just like that. Yeah. Um, but for the officers themselves, I can't recall any specific one, yeah. but I know that over the last year and a half or two years, there's been a, a emphasis, a huge emphasis put on gaining the right mental health and, but then also finding the right people that could then assist the first responders that are out there because we're, we're kind of like a dynamic entity out there, right? Right. We're we're cops. We're always going to things. There's always people yelling in our face or, you know, every once in a while you get a nice person to buy you a cup of coffee or, you know, (laughs) treat you to a good day. But, but for the majority of the time, we're going to things where people are calling for our help all the time, anytime. And sometimes you need help. And sometimes. And that's important, right? How important is that suicide prevention? It's, it's, it's huge. I mean, obviously, you know, the data itself, um, shows that, you know, police officers are way more at risk um, for being involved in a suicide themselves than actually being involved in a line of duty death. Yeah. And what, so what are the odds then that we're looking at for first responders that will seek help for themselves afterwards? Very, very little, right? Yes. Unfortunately. That, that's sad. Yeah. It, it's sad, but I think with the new, I don't, I don't know if news right, but I think with the 
contemporary policing that's kind of happening and some of the insight that's going into this and actually seeing friends and knowing that there's options out there that, that are, that are being talked about. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll improve. It'll slowly improve, but I, I know for sure it will improve. And they just, they just recently passed, um, through, through the legislature. Um, I believe it's a $5 million kind of mental health, um, practice that they, that they'd like to, that they would like departments and, and first responders, specifically first responders to take advantage of resources that are out there and institute programs within your agencies to, to give those resources an easier avenue to access. Yeah. And for good reason, because I've seen some statistic that people may not realize, but suicide is actually the leading cause of death in law enforcement officers. Yes. Over three times the rate over homicides in the general population and they use firearms. Yeah. It's familiarity with, with your weapons and there's a ton of different reasons, right? That, that, um, people would choose that route of suicide. And I don't need to go over the specifics of all no. those reasons, but they're all there. Um, but what we should talk about really is we're tactically aware and, and we're always on point to make sure that when we go to a call that we're ready to protect ourselves and protect the lives of others. And now it's about time that when you're done with that call mm -hmm. that you begin to protect yourself and, and these resources that are out there, the more we talk about it, the more, you know, reach for hope is able to do some of these things that, that we do and get that, get that just regular um, education out to officers. I, I believe they will start to take advantage of more of those resources that are out there and finding the right people that they trust and genuinely understand them yeah, um, we, to help them. Yeah, because the statistics show that more officers and firefighters died by suicide than in the line of duty in the last few years from 2019 to 2020. Yeah. That, that's not acceptable. We have got to get those numbers down. Now, why do you think it is that these, I call you guys heroes among us, sometimes are the last to reach out? I, I really don't know. I've, I've tried to kind of deep dive into, you know, my own personal journeys and what it is. And I think, I think when we, when we take police and firefighters and all these things, we go, okay, they're, they kind of have a invincibility to them, right? We wear bulletproof vests. We're given all the latest and greatest gear in order to protect ourselves, but we're still very human. Mm -hmm. And, and during that human portion of life, we're, we shouldn't always be on 24 hours a day, seven days a week as that police officer or as that firefighter. But if you go home with a scanner on, you're going to be that anyway. Sure. Uh, there, and that, there, there yeah. are people that have done that. And, um, I, I specifically encourage people not to do that, but it will cumulatively and the data proves that it will take a toll on you. And, and, and what, what you kind of want to do and what I've, what I've was going to finish by saying about that belief is that we always want to think that like we don't have the same problems as everybody else and that and that we always we we go out and we solve people's short-term problems whether that's by providing some education whether that's separating people whether that's saving that person mm -hmm. or whether that's taking them to jail in the capacity that I deal with 
we have that going for them. But I think sometimes we forget to introspectively look at ourselves and go, well, what do we need now? Right. Right. How do we solve what we have going on for us in order to make us better people outside the job? Because I I know a lot of police officers and they're probably great, great police officers. Mm -hmm. But maybe if you talk to their friends or their loved ones, maybe they don't see them as often or maybe they don't get to talk to them as often because they're tuned in to what to what they do out on the streets. And and that's unfortunate. Well, you're not not invincible but you are heroes. Thank you. <laughs> there are apps out there to help with this as well. Um, yes. The Safe UT Frontline app is available 24-7. It's confidential. There's no cost. And the Live on Utah website now also has specifically help for law enforcement out there right now. And uh, that's really important to have those out there for for them to, to get to. Now, can you give me just a, a brief example of a time when you um, might have come across someone who was was taking trying to take their own life sure i can come i have a bunch of them but i just wanted to can i expand on yours a little bit with some of the apps and things that are out there all those are great tools and and we're we're pushing out you know having technology in our hands in order to help help us when that time of need comes up but just talking to other you know uh, brothers and sisters inside uh this first responder world, it's great that agencies now are putting out those peer support groups and finding those entrusted people that understand that like, once you tell somebody something in confidence, that that's not going to go down the line to maybe somebody else that's going to look at you a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's some of the, the stigma around the hero portion of us, right? That we need to allow ourselves to get out and, and expand on these things that, are kind of weighing us down mm-hmm. and, um, and giving us the option to, to take some of that load off of our shoulders when we're not at work. And so, so f- having those peer support groups, having some of the resources such as, um, you know, psychiatrists and mental health experts to go to locally is a, is a great thing that all of our first responders should take um, advantage of because it's literally free. So I don't know why you don't go and make yourself better. For and free. so did you do that in, in something that if you've experienced that, did you go get help? Oh yeah. You have. Oh yeah. Good. Oh yeah. You're a pr- great example. And I'm glad I got you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's, I mean, you're yeah. a prime example. So yeah. You, and I have, I have a really good, um, not really good. I have a great, uh, like the best kind of, um, family. I have a wife that's been with me, you know, for many, many years and she's, super supportive and very, um, understanding and smart about knowing, you know, when my kind of, uh, weight gets a little too much. And then, you know, she's like, Hey, maybe you should go do this and maybe you should go do that. Or, and I've done things in life that I never thought of, you know, and like trying yoga and doing things that are just at peace that are away from policing. Meditation um, works. It's, it's great. Yeah. So yes. Um, when you go through some of these traumatic events, it is a, um, it's not mandatory yet or made, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one can make you go get help, but we'd like to make it, um, volunteer mandatory. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's in a some, new word in your vocabulary. In some, kind of, in some kind of effort, because, um, if you do find that person to talk to and kind of get that, it's, it's very helpful. And, and, you'll, you'll heal a lot quicker from some of those things that you've seen and experienced that 
other people will never ever um, understand what you went through when you went through it. So. Well, it'll keep you from self-medicating, and that's what a lot of people do. They use drugs or alcohol too, yeah. and I'm sure that law enforcement or first responders aren't any different. They have they have to deal with it somehow. Maybe they don't even know they're dealing with it, and they just that's what they do. Um, there's yeah. also something called a virtual hope box for military and law enforcement, and it looks like it has guides to help relax people, breathing techniques and things right. like that to uh, distract or, you know, keep people calm. I don't, I don't know how people use it, but have you heard of this and how helpful do you think this would be to help first responders? Do you know? Um, I've, I've heard of it and I have not personally used it. Um, but like I said, I've, I've done things that I never thought that that would be the avenue where, where I find um, healing and I find peace. And so if it's out there, it's not going to hurt to try that, you know, and, and give yourself an opportunity to, to just go, okay, this, this took my mind off something and it helped in a certain way and we move forward. Right. Um, you're on the Reach for Hope Utah Coalition here in Southern Utah. Mm-hmm. That's why you're here on the show today. So thank you so much for your volunteerism. Why did you decide to become involved and, and what would you like to say out there for others who might be interested or want to reach out? Um, I think, I think reach for hope is a, a great outlet because of what they're, you know, they're presenting saying, Hey, if there's an issue, please reach out to us and we'll find a way to help you. And so, you know, their, their piece of the puzzle is, is a, a lifesaver or a, resources. A, a boot. Yeah. And there's tons of resources out there. But, um, for me personally, I've been on multiple occasions where, you know, people have, um, I've had one where it was a, um, suicide by cop where, where I was involved in that. I've had another one where people called into the police department and said, you know, this is where you're going to find me. And then we go out there and find them. Um, so it, it is, it's personally, it, it's personally, I've personally seen it. And, and I, I realize that there's a lot, I always explain it to um, people as a lot of hurt and guilt that goes along with once a suicide occurs, because people always want to know what they could have done differently because mm-hmm. they never saw, some people say, I never saw it coming. And then, and then we're trying to teach other people that there are things that you can look for to see it coming, whether it's an illness that, that exacerbates itself and then you fight through it or whether it's a a thing where they're self-medicating on alcohol or illicit drugs or things like, or or all of these other things that constitute troubles in people's lives, daily lives. Um, there's, there's ways to go about finding that help and reach for hope is a great um, avenue to do that. And I see the state of Utah is now doing like the live on Utah campaign is yep. really making a push. I mean, it, it's on local St. George Boulevard here. Yep. Um, but as a police officer, I can go on about multiple, multiple stories of where, you know, I was, I was in the scene, right? Like somebody was trying to jump off of a bridge and I grabbed them and, and pull them to safety. And there's been other ones where, you know, other officers, when you respond, they're hanging from a ceiling and they grab them and, and just in the, just in the, in that specific amount of time because of whatever it was, they, they weren't deceased yet. And, um, and then, 
you know, next week, uh, you, you'll get to meet one of the people that I, I personally dealt with. Um, and he'll tell you his story about, you know, how for years upon years, and I mean a lot of years, uh, he, he dealt with depression and he dealt with multiple times where he attempted to, um, you know, kill himself by different means. And, um, and about a year ago, I ran into him uh, during one of these uh, depressive states. And he, he ended up, I ended up talking him out of it, told him that there was different resources out there. And, and he, he pretty much flat out told me, look, man, I, you can give me all the resources you want, but you don't know what's wrong with me. And I said, yeah, but there's this other one I just found. And he, he believed me because I told him that I found out this other one that somebody recently told me about through Reach for Hope Committee. And, and it's to do with uh, new technology that's out there that specifically works on the brain, you know, and, um, he went to that and he it's found it and it's mm-hmm. helped. And he, he's going to be one of the speakers next week at the live on campaign. And, um, so those kind of stories, those personal stories, they really mean a lot to me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just, I'll just continue to do the best I can to, to be an ambassador and, and whatever I can to, to help out, explain to people that there's a lot to have fun with it. And, mm-hmm. And reach for. Well, we have a car show coming up real briefly. I yep. want you to sh- tell me what this is on May 21st. Tell me what this is real briefly. Okay, yeah. Real briefly, there's a, it's called Rolling in the Red Rocks. It'll be a Dixie Convention Center. A deputy, Graham Hancock, is kind of gave, was generous to give us a space there. So we'll have the Reach for Hope booth there with our kids' race cars. And it's a car show. Come on out. All right. I'd like to thank Dixie you. Dixie Convention Center. Yep. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for joining us. And remember, there's always hope. Reach out and help someone. Thanks a lot. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from a podcast studio.